Welcome to the Iowa Idea Podcast. Join host Matt Arnold for in-depth conversations with artists, designers, entrepreneurs, and civic leaders as he explores how they approach their craft and represent a modern version of the Iowa Idea. This podcast tells the stories of Iowa natives, transplants, and friends who demonstrate the Iowa Idea in the 21st century. Use what you have until it becomes what you want. In this episode of the Iowa Idea Podcast, I'm joined by Caleb Wise. Caleb, the fourth generation to live on his family farm in Iowa. Leaving business and accounting, he started Wise Guide as an outlet for his passions in the garden and in the kitchen. With his YouTube channel, Caleb's goal is to show viewers how they too can start a garden, no matter the size, preserve the food, create a meal, and create a home that they love to live in. With Wise Guide, Caleb works to pass these passions on to others. We dig into Caleb's journey from farm life to accounting and back to farm life that embraces the principles of a traditional farm life with a modern twist where he embraces technology to share his passion and perspectives. It was an honor having Caleb join me on the show. I thank him for sharing his time and insights. I hope you enjoy the episode. Caleb, it is great to have you here on the Iowa Idea Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. If you don't mind, could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. I am born and bred Iowan, so I have only left the state for um, four years of college, higher education, and have lived here otherwise ever since. I live on a family farm about, oh, 30, 40 minutes south of Iowa City, which To me, Iowa talk is when you give things in minutes, not miles. So it takes me about 30 or 40 minutes to get somewhere. That's how far I am. Um, My great grandparents started the farm and then my grandparents, of course, my mom and dad. And now I live just pretty much across the road from where I grew up. And um, it's kind of funny because I have lunch with my grandparents every week. And I'm always struck by the fact that my grandpa talks about that he's lived in pretty much three or four houses his whole life, having been born in the house right beside me and so on and so forth. And at first I always think that's probably really odd. And then I realized, oh, I'm pretty much like that. So even though we're in a different time, it's kind of the same thing for me. But um, I have always been someone that really enjoys the farm, but have never wanted to be a quote unquote traditional farmer. So I have had a lot of different paths in life to um, bring me to finally be comfortable with the things that I do love to do and being okay with saying that I want to have a farm life, but in a different way. So that's a, that's a little bit about me. Just, oh, just enough little bits. <laughs> that's great. Let's dig in a little bit there. Uh, yeah. So you went away for a while. Where'd you go? I did. I went to Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Um, it's where I had my sister went there. And so I went to Iowa Mennonite High School at the time. It's now called Hillcrest Union, which is by Kelowna. So every day I drove 45 minutes one way to high school. Um, I grew up Mennonite, not at all Amish. So if you're in Iowa, most likely, you know, there is a big difference between Mennonite and Amish. But um, I went to Iowa Mennonite High School. And not that you have to by any means go to a second education, like go on to higher education that has to be Mennonite. But um since I had family there and I had cousins that went there, it was an easy transition to 
go out to Virginia. It was, it was good. Actually, I really enjoyed the school and yeah, it was a good four years away, but it was just really easy for me for some reason to come right back, which is kind of odd. If you know me, a lot of people that surprises, but here I am. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, as you talked about farming and farm life, about what you wanted, what can, Talk to me about uh, the the attraction of farm life. What are the things that you you like about farm life? You know, I think growing up, I was so lucky, which I didn't really realize until now, that I had one, my family was just always around me. So my parents and I, I grew up in what was the generational farmhouse. When I was a few months old, my grandparents and parents swapped houses so my parents could live in the traditional farmhouse where the main farm was. And then my grandparents moved across the road, which is where I live now. And um, growing up, I was just always surrounded by family and everything felt always so, I think as a child, so safe and comfortable. I had grandparents across the road. So if mom and dad were gone, we could go over there. Even if they weren't gone, we would go over there. And my dad was always around. And on top of that, I was somehow lucky enough that my dad loved his job, which I think a lot of farmers do because to do farm life, you have to have it kind of bred into you a little bit, but he truly felt that his purpose was fulfilled every day on the farm. And while I don't know if that always maybe had the best family dynamics with my mom, because I don't know, she would have said every day should be spent like he did, but it, it left such an impression as to enjoying life. And I think that has some of to do why I like farm life. Um, growing up, my mom was a huge gardener and loved to be outside too. So I got all facets of outdoor life on the farm. While I didn't like necessarily tending to livestock or always doing things with harvest, I loved the concept of having these wide open spaces not having neighbors like too close by. I mean, I don't live like out in the boondocks, but I I do have just a lot of freedom in space and it gives you then the ability to do things with pretty much with creativity. So I remember when I was young, I think I was in seventh grade, I put in my first um, flower bed that I had drawn up on a piece of paper. It had like a brick pattern in it. And, but, you know, we had the ability to do that because we had the space. So I think I always was so fed by that, that concept of farm life that it's just always been so ingrained in me. And I, I've never been able to quite see where I would have that freedom for creativity that I enjoy and the space to do that easily other places. Thank you. That's great. Out of curiosity, uh, what was, what type of farm or what was, what, what would you, would you raise? I would say it's the most traditional, um, stereotypical Iowa farm. We had uh, cash crops, soy, corn and soybeans. And then um, we, when I was younger, dad always did farrow to finish hogs. So we would birth them and then carry them all through until it was market. Um, and then later on contracted hogs. But so it was pigs, which was pretty much, I, I'm pretty sure it was always for cash flow. Dad himself never enjoyed pigs back then. <laughs> and crops were his like, passion. He loved it. He would go pick up soil in the spring and smell it and tell me about, you know, that sweet fragrance the soil needs to have. And so I I think I got an appreciation, even if it wasn't for the farm itself, but for the caring of it or the caring of the land that like, I don't know, I think it's just always carried through. That's great. So I know my uh, maternal grandfather grew up on a farm in Mm -hmm. Kansas and uh, my father-in-law country. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of actually, uh, uh, contract equipment work, like going sure. from farm and, and, uh, cutting and taking care of the wheat. Definitely. Um, 
and my father-in-law grew up on a farm in Nebraska and uh, loved my, uh, my in-laws. My, my father-in-law passed away a long time ago, but my, uh, my mother-in-law, so she grew up in Pittsburgh, the daughter of a bank president. <laughs> completely different life <laughs> yeah and they they met at uh they they met at the uni- uh, university of wisconsin but it was like my uh some of the family stories i enjoy too is it's not not in a negative way but a little bit of like kind of green acres kind of yeah. vibe yeah. that uh one of the things that we tell our children that they find hard to believe though is the farmhouse in nebraska that my father-in-law grew up in was uh there was no heat. Oh, sure. And so uh, like when, when people would come to visit, they had hot water bottles that they would put into bed yeah. with oh, yeah. to get through the work, you know, like a Christmas visit, right? Yeah, you know, so the dead oh. of winter in Nebraska. What's and- always amazing about stories like that is it's really, I mean, it's a long time ago, but at the same time, it's not that long ago, you know, a hundred years maybe or something, but it's like, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, you're right, because uh, a, a friend of mine talks about how actually you don't have to go that far back, go two generations. And he talked about uh, somebody in his grandmother's sibling th- fell off a covered wagon when they were heading west. like that, <laughs> And there was a grudge in the family because the family lost wow. so much time that day because they had to turn around and go get the baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. That, I haven't heard that one yet. That is, that is, that's kind of puts things in perspective. Uh, my, my father-in-law too, like, to put in perspective, rural Nebraska, uh, he went to a one-room schoolhouse for first through eighth grade. Yeah. And he was working on his PhD at Wisconsin when he met my mother-in-law and so he, he ended up as chief scientist at Argonne National Laboratory. But it, Oh, that's cool. So you still think, but like the, the notion of a one-room schoolhouse seems like oh, Little yeah. House on the Prairie. It's got to be in the 18, and it was still going on in the 1950s. Oh yeah. No, my grandma and grandpa, actually all my grandparents had all walked to school until I think, yeah, high school. So through eighth grade and had party lines at home. I was rule route five, I think was the party line that was on this one. So you'd all get on the phone and hear who else and what else was going on. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Yeah. I, it, it took me a while when I was great to really understand what a party line was. I didn't realize that basically anybody could kind of pick up their phone and just right? listen in. <laughs> Which now we have social media for that. Right. So we can just go see what someone else is doing like in real time. But right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, a while back, I was talking to somebody on the podcast, Hemda uh, uh, Khalili. So she she lives in uh, New York City. And I remember talking to her about uh, she had mentioned having a fear of the Midwest. Oh, sure. And I thought it might have been like cultural value kind of perspective. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, here, here we go. But no, it was space. the open space and the yeah. cornfields. And she's like, you don't know who's hiding. Anybody could get... <laughs> And, and I think to some extent there might be, you know, for, for people in Iowa, New York City, you don't know, yep. like, there's so many people, what's going on? It's the exact same thing. Everyone thinks it's so unsafe in a big city if you're from the Midwest, <laughs> and it's just kind of funny, these stereotypes we put on everything. Yep. So uh, talk to me a little bit now about some of your, your creative endeavors that you've had sure. since you've returned to the farm. So when I, my dad passed away in 2004, and I was a junior in high school at the time. 
And so it was right in that transition where I was trying to figure out college, what I'm going to do, all those big questions. And right in the middle of a dad passing away, you just don't really think some of that through. You instead kind of just like listen to people and everyone just says, go to college. And you say, okay. And then when I got to college, you know, it was, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know, but I want to like what I do. Cause that's what I'm used to. That's what I mean. My parents did. So I want to, you're like, I'm in, um, you're a teenager. You I'm here. <laughs> right? I know it's this is what I was. Right? I thought you guys were going to help me with that. <laughs> I know. Like now when I get there, I'm like, how have I ever known? Which by the way, right. what I do now is so anyway, <laughs> I went into college. I remember. And of course it had a liberal arts program. And at first they kind of give all freshmen, I think a liberal arts advisor. And I remember at the time, she was very into telling me, well, you know, just try to try to have a broad spectrum here your first year. And before I went there, I had so many people kind of locally or family, whatever it was say, you know, you, you're creative. Why don't you do business? Cause you can do anything with business. So just go into business. And I was like, okay, I guess I can do anything then. That's great. So I kept telling, I remember my advisor, like, no, I want to do business. And she's like, well, let's really just take some different classes, like even art, maybe. And I was like, no, 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 no. I want to do business. And so I finally changed advisors because I wanted to so bad, which looking back, it's like the number one thing I wish I would have done differently is just listen to her and take other classes. But I did business. I doubled in accounting because it was a few more classes or something. I was like, oh, sure. Double major. That sounds like I'm smart. (laughs) So I did that. And then lo and behold, the job I could get when I graduated was accounting. And I hated my accounting classes, even though I did well, because I can study, I can work hard. I came out as an accountant and I, I hated it. I sat every day in my first job and thought, what am I doing? How did I get here? And I remember even the best friend I had in college, I'd sit by, who is, by the way, extremely smart and 4.0 all through, went on to grad school to get a CPA, was 4.0 again who also now does my creative endeavor with me. But he, at the time I would sit by him and be like, I am never going to use this in life. And again, that was my first job. So it was, it was really hard for me on that first job. It was almost like, I felt like my world was crashing. I, I hated what I did. I didn't want to go every day and get up and do it. It left me at the end of every day, just feeling empty and tired and just like pointless passionless, whatever it was. So at the same time, I had moved into my grandparents' house because after I graduated, they decided to move into town and said, do you want to, you know, this is the chance. If you want to live in our house, this is when you would do it. And so I said, oh, okay. So I moved into a whole house, which again, um, it probably wasn't the smartest decision financially to try to do that as someone who is having their first job that does not pay that well, but I lived across from my mom. So, you know, things like snow removal, I could go over and get something and, you know, from the farm. And so I was able to do that because I lived here. That's the only reason I could have done that. And so while I lived here, instead, what I did was when I got home from work and was just tired or annoyed or whatever, frustrated, I would start doing things that just felt inherent to me. So I put in a huge vegetable garden. I started ripping out all the landscaping and slowly redoing it. And in those first few years of doing that, I kept becoming more and more passionate about it and did it with like a purpose, but not really realizing what that purpose is. It just felt like I had to do it. Like I would, I recreated this one back gravel patio area and put this fire pit in and made it very formal. And I always had such a determination to do it. And so during that time, the friend I talked about in college, 
he had moved to LA for his dream job working at one of the big four accounting firms and he enjoyed it, but also just like, you know, it's going to be really expensive staying in LA. It's going to be hard to really get where I want to go. And so we decided to start what anyone in, um, around 2010 would start or 2012. And that is a blog (laughs) knowing nothing again, really about what a blog is other than, Oh, I can do what I want and act like I'm someone I'm not. Okay. This sounds perfect because I am totally a believer in not fake it till you make it, but use what you have until it becomes what you want. And so I was like, okay, we're going to start a blog at first. It was awful. Like now when I look at it, it's just embarrassing, but slowly. And this is, I think it's, yeah, it started in 2012 and it was very formal. It was very, um, not pretentious because pretentious at least has something to aspire to. I feel like at first it was just, this is what I'm doing. And I was trying to kind of be someone else, like not necessarily showing the gardens that I was enjoying doing, not even really showing the different things I did in the house. It was things that I thought I should do since I had a blog. Like, let me tell you how to write nice letters if you're going to have a party, which no. Okay. So slowly though, still an important skill though. Right. It really is. And I do actually, and a dying art, a dying art. (laughs) It really is. And I love buying anyway, buying nice cards. Um, But as it grew and as I kept growing, we slowly started changing what we were doing. And, you know, that formed into doing videos mostly because just like everyone else, we wanted to watch something instead of just read about it. And by the way, my strong point, any professor I ever had will tell you is not writing. So the idea of a blog is pretty much long blog posts. Yeah. My blog posts were just had to be edited forever. They were awful. They just didn't get my point across, but videos did because I am someone, I guess, I mean, with my voice inflections and everything, I express myself through word. Like I will get in front of people, I will talk, I will present, and I can usually engage with people much better because I'm I'm myself. And so slowly we kept doing that more and more. He decided to move here so we could film even more. Even though we weren't gonna quit our jobs at that point, we said, no, we're doing this as much as we can. Every free moment, every second, every spare minute, we're going to either create videos, we're gonna edit them, whatever we need to do. And so that went on for about four years. And it was finally here in the last couple of years that it finally started taking off to a point where now we see how it can be um, completely self-sufficient and we can do it full time, which it would have never, I would have never seen where it got to today having when we started in 2012. And I think that goes for obviously probably anything, but we, we decided pretty much to bank on the passion I had and believe that if we worked at it hard enough, which by the way, it's not like I'm like to retirement age, so we still have a long ways to go. But if we worked on it hard enough that eventually something would come to fruition. And there was a lot of ups and downs through that. But I think the biggest thing I finally learned in the last couple of years when it kind of turned around, cause I was about to throw it in a couple of years ago was I decided to really just take off the whole, what caring how people perceive what I'm doing and instead just saying, this is what I'm doing. Come along for the ride and let's see how it goes. And it completely changed. It changed the way I was presenting things and it made everything just more fun. Cause I think it was becoming to a point where I was pushing so hard for something that I didn't even necessarily know what that I needed to stop pushing and just having fun with it 
and which I hate to say because that sounds like such a cliche, like just have fun with it and your passion will just somehow take you. It's like, okay, that doesn't always work. But yeah. right now, currently that has worked. For, for I us, appreciate that. Yeah, it's hard. And if you don't, I want to actually tug on a couple threads that I was hearing here yeah. first. And okay, you're raised men, men and I, I was raised Catholic, yeah. but I think kind of like from a one from a midwestern work ethic like you sure. like you go into kind of then you do it but like so early it, it's more about having a job right then yeah. like where can you maximize your skills right stuff you can get paid for your passion right. it was like right you weren't supposed to question if you had a job right so right that and, and just, you know, power through, or as I joke around yeah. sometimes with my friends in a good Midwestern, just pack all those feelings down. <laughs> right. They'll, they'll come out true. sometime, but just yep. push them down. Yep. So just kind of, you know, interested in, in that and just that I've had that feeling in my life right. too. Uh, and then kind of connecting that a little bit to the notion of your career, high school, the questions you had with your advisor. And I've, yeah. I've argued this with many folks. It's hard because our previous generations, parents, grandparents, the world wasn't changing as fast. Right. And there was strong alignment between you can go to this, do this degree program and it equals these careers. Right. But, but yeah. even for me, like I, I wasn't able to go into digital design Right. Yeah. Like nobody in high school said there's going to be this emerging thing that's going to use the internet as a backbone. It's called the World Wide mm -hmm. Web and <laughs> right. it's going to be crazy. <laughs> but even if you said too, like with, with blogs or, or with YouTube channels, you yeah. know, I, I, there's no way you could like tell a high schooler a few years ago that broadcast is shifting, media is shifting. Right. And, and we actually have people that do these things. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I always find that interesting too, is how, how you find your way that, right. It's, it's sometimes I think it's like water finds its easiest path. Not right. that anything we're doing is easy, but like you said, these, it's great when these passions and start, cause you look back, there's a pattern where you're in it. There feels like there's no pattern. And I, I don't exactly. know if any, any of that, that I've said resonates with you, but that's kind oh, yeah. of what you were saying. It feels like a lot of my career. <laughs> I was, well, yeah, I remember when I got an accounting job and I love, I love my grandparents. I'm still so lucky still to have two of my, my, my grandma, my grandpa, my paternal yes. grandparents still in my life. Um, but I remember when I got my accounting job to my grandma and grandpa, that meant my life was made because in their head, if you had an office job, it was like you were gold. They grew up during hard farming times. They even, and they did really well for themselves farming, but they had to work hard for it. My grandma was on the farm every day. And so to them thinking that I went to college, got a degree and then became an accountant. Wow. I must be like living the dream. And I remember it was, and it's still sometimes, but I remember it being hard to, to explain sometimes to them when they're like, so how's it going or something? And me being like, well, it's not really, it's not really what I want. Well, you know, everyone has those times of jobs, but it's a good job and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it would be like, well, Right. But you just don't get it. Something's wrong. And that's, I am very much a feeling person. And for me, if something feels wrong, feels off, I'm not doing well. My life isn't going well. I'm not feeling good. And there are people that yes, can go to a job every day, kind of like it, kind of not, but it's just what you do and they don't really care. And then there's someone like me who's like, I, I can't do this my whole life. Like something will break, something will happen. And so 
I think the work ethic comes in two ways. Like one, yes, I still went to the job. Yes, I had to pay bills, of course. But two then, I didn't mind coming home and working outside until dark, doing the things I really wanted to do. And I think for a long time, I remember even I I had was told at one point, well, don't you think you have enough in your yard? Like, do you really need to do more? And I I remember being like, yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) I want to. So, and that's just kind of how I am. Like I am someone that's like, you know what? This is, you kind of have to, at some point when you have so many wonderful um, parental roles, role models in your life, you have to though, at some point say, I am my own adult now, and I'm going to have to do what I want to do to an extent. And it, it can be a hard shift, especially with that Midwestern mentality of always kind of standing in line, always just working hard, doing what's expected to break that mold can be really hard, especially in a rural area where I still, and I, I get it, but I still get asked very often So how does one make money on these things, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, you make these videos and you make money and then it'll kind of be like, well, that's cute. And I'll be like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, you can make money, but it's, it's hard and impossible to get, you know, through to certain people and not that anyone needs to understand it, but you have to be able to. I am someone sometimes that can be really weighed down by what other people think. And so for a long time, it's, it was really hard for me to have people question me trying to do something like, Oh, you just want to be famous. No, it it has nothing actually to do with fame. Even though I get that me putting myself on a Facebook video makes it look like that, but you know, it's, we have such a different way now to reach people and we have different avenues to do it. And yes, me being able to move back to Iowa which would have been probably the only place I could have afforded to have a farmstead like I do, um, but then be able to try to reach a broad audience. Like I feel pretty lucky that I live in a time where I could do that because there is hardly any other time where with what I would have wanted to do in life, I would have had the chance to move back to Iowa and still try to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Even thinking about just, uh, cause when when I started undergrad, one of one of my majors was broadcast and film, and just thinking about the the cost of broadcast equipment, yep, and also that it was you you know it was usually video, but even having uh, high quality tape available, yep. like just all the equipment, and then how are how are you going to get this distributed? And right. but right. now all of these new channels that exist that do make it possible for voices to be heard from all over the world. I, it's one of the things yeah. I, when the internet is at its best, those are one of the cool things. Yeah. No, well, and you can order it now and just have it shipped to you. That's what's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we don't have to find some camera store that has the specialty things. Well, right. actually, what's, this is totally an offshoot, but what's hilarious is our videos started doing so much better when we tried to make them less formal. And even though we have a couple good canons, we have now been doing them on our iPhone because yeah. people like that format better of feeling like they're just more in your space with They're hanging you. out with you. Yeah. Right? It's kind of amazing. But I mean, also iPhone cameras are really good too. So. Right. <laughs> well, I re- and I remember at one point uh, when I was in college thinking about uh, maybe I just want to check out a society, but I don't want to miss lots of weird pop culture things. Mm-hmm. And so this was, this was really like before internet web stuff takes off. So my, my strategy was going to be, <gasps> buy a bunch of really weird magazines, 
<laughs> the things that are sold in those that's yeah. how I, so just so i can get on like all kinds of mailing lists right that was how i was going to stay oh. in touch because well, i wasn't even sure if i was going to have a tv but yeah. but but like you said now it's like you can connect you don't you need something very particular special and you can get it right away right. which i mean that's what's really yeah that's what makes it possible for what we do to be able to do it. And the fact that we can be self-taught, whether it's, you know, YouTubing a video we need to do to know how to edit better or whatever. We have so many more tools to be able to teach ourselves because we did have to completely teach ourselves everything from how to video and then how to make that somewhat a little bit more user-friendly with recording our sound separately, sometimes checking color levels, you know, and that's actually all I should say, Joel, he does all the back end stuff. So I, just like, I can't write. I also am not good at the tedious time consuming things like that. I would much rather be doing moving. So we we're lucky to be able to have all those things too, but. And feel free to, to tell me if this is like too much into your, your own uh, intellectual property. Right. But I'm just sure. kind of curious um, just how on like on a video process. So I'll just go back to one, one of the, one of the videos I absolutely loved over the holidays, I think because of pandemic and it was cold, was mm -hmm. making chicken soup, right? It yeah. was like, even without having the chicken soup, it just, oh, it just felt soothing. Good. Yeah. But I'm kind of curious if you could like walk me through, do you, do you have a shoot schedule that, hey, this is what we're going to do? Or do you right. base, like have an editorial calendar here? Here's what we want to do. Or is it more, hey, this, this sounds good. Let's get this. Because you had, you had a lot of nice ingredients displayed yeah. nice. So it's right. like chicken so, soup isn't something you just grab out of the fridge and say, I'm going right. to make this today. And I don't raise chicken. So I didn't go yeah. out and just, you know, get a fresh one and dress it. So, no, I, we, we for, for non-farm people listening, know, right? right? It's, we, know, right? we don't I, have I don't every animal <laughs> to slaughter <laughs> at a moment's notice. I know. Right. I mean, I wouldn't put it past <laughs> me, but no, um, I, we try to keep somewhat of a schedule and I'm going to be honest, we're both pretty lucky in the fact that we both have things we can be really lenient in. So um, I am able to really fly by the seat of my pants as far as videoing goes. So I never do a script because if I do a script, it messes me up. Um, I only do recipes I'm comfortable with. So I have made them. I have tested them. I feel confident in what I'm doing. Um, and three... Joel is then able to usually form that around whatever he needs to for his schedule. So we're not, since we're not high, like since we know each other so well, we're best friends, we don't have to hire one of the other parties to actually be there. We have the ability not to be super scheduled. I mean, that's just how it is. And we're both fully invested in our business. So we're both 50% owners. So we both come at it knowing that we're invested and that yeah. you need to like see it through. So in that sense, you know, in the past when we've both always had full-time jobs, it's more just always been like, well, we know on weekends, this is what we're doing. So we don't really have to make a schedule because that's what it is. It's going to be every Saturday and or Sunday. Um, when it comes to other things, like when it comes like this last Christmas, we did 25 Christmas videos and they aired from the day after Thanksgiving until, you know, like five days before or whatever Christmas, those we did have to obviously schedule out. And so Joel will put them on the calendar as to when they are going to be released. And then that lets me know kind of when I need to make sure I plan on filming so I can make sure I have my groceries, all those kinds of things. Cause yeah, you have to have all those And I am someone 
to me, um, the ingredients, the back end, whatever it is, is just as important as the front. So I will totally promote organic. I will totally promote local. And if it's in the winter, that means I have to maybe go somewhere and get something better because I can't grow it. Um, so I will make sure, even though you don't always see that in a video, that that's still how it is. Because for me, the most important part of any of our videos is the fact that I'm never putting on a show. I'm actually doing this how I would do it at home. So it's fully authentic. I, I care about the ingredients I put into my body just as much as I care showing you how I'm putting it together. So as far as regimen and schedule, we don't have, but authenticity is, I think what we push higher. I, I love that. And personally for me, when, when it comes to, to cooking, to, I, I'm, I'm uh, more, uh, my belief system is I over-index on the ingredient side because yeah. I, I feel like the quality of the ingredients uh, takes more pressure off of me where I'm, yeah. I, I have friends that are, are chefs and, and they can turn terrible things into good. Th I don't have sure. that skill, right. but I do feel like if, if I have better ingredients, at least I'm presenting yep. something better. So that's, that's, that's where I, I end up there. Uh, we agree. One of the one of the things I'm curious about too, as you're cooking and like you said, you're presenting, the, and these are things you'd like. Uh, is is there uh, a fav a favorite recipe? I guess uh, two. I'm kind of curious on okay. favorite recipe that like when 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 you just want to show off your skills. What's your favorite <laughs> thing? And then then the other maybe during pandemic or in the course of what's a what's a recipe that you've discovered that was wasn't on your radar and now you're like oh where where have you been all my life right is, is there is there a new dish that you love uh and then also what's a what's a, a favorite so pandemic wise favorite let's say which this is honestly i'm going to admit my pandemic life and my non-pandemic life since i live kind of in the rural area where i don't really go out every day isn't that much different. That's fair. Um, I, I kind of sometimes hate saying that because it sounds then like I really am backcountry, but it's just more, I mean, I live a secluded life most of the time, but, um, so my social thing distancing, on, isn't that hard in, in, you know, when you're farm life, there's a quarter of a mile away. It really isn't. <laughs> and like during the last year, you feel very thankful for that. Yeah. There are other times, maybe you question that, but during those years, you totally love it. But as far as like the food goes, my go-to always is usually something for me, cooking is released. So I don't mind coming home. Usually I don't have like, you know, five kids at home. So I don't have to worry about getting things quick. So I'm usually a slow process because I enjoy that release of cooking, yeah. even if it's been a long day, but pandemic wise, and this is a video that has done actually surprisingly, extremely well is um, a sheet pan dinner, which usually I would have shied away from because I'm like, I, I hate kitschy things. I hate things that are like flashy, like sheet pan dinner all in one. But it is, I started this a few years ago and then I redid the video this year, but it is a pork loin with squash and apples all on one sheet pan. And it has the most cozy, homey, flavors and smell and is super simple, but is for some reason, not for me. And this all depends on where you're coming from, but are some combinations that you wouldn't do. So it uses cinnamon as a savory spice, which is one of my favorite things because it switches it up, but cinnamon gives you that instant, like wonderful food memory, whether it's at your grandma's house, whether it's her cinnamon, whatever it is, right. you love that smell. And so when it's mixed with other like wonderful 
spices, you're instantly just taken back to that place. But with the squash and apples, what I love is I can use the squash I grow. I can use the apples I grow. And it's just with a pork tenderloin. So it's really quick. So that to me has been a wonderful go-to that you can do extremely quickly and still have kind of what a lot of people would consider now a really kind of elevated meal, just because, you know, it has a lot of times anymore. I feel like we eat on the fly or eat on the go. And we have a lot of like bowl meals where everything's just kind of thrown together. So when you have an actual kind of modified sit down meal anymore, it's kind of just a special thing. And so that one for me has been just like wonderful. Um, a go-to window for me on a weekly basis, literally every week I am roasting probably multiple, but at least a sheet pan of mixed vegetables. And usually it's still ones that I'm holding over from fall. So beets, sweet potatoes, squash, carrots, whatever it is, and then using it in different ways throughout that week. So sometimes it will be on top of salad. Sometimes it will be blended into a pureed soup. Sometimes it will be on the side with a main. So that kind of is my go-to what I prep kind of some at some point during every week and then eat in different ways. And that's kind of always what I, yeah, I love going back to that just because I'm someone in general that again, this is going to not be stereotypically rural farmer, but, um, I eat on probably the healthier side. And I always try to say, because I do put a lot of baking videos and I do a lot of candy making videos, especially on Christmas. And I always say in them, this is not something you eat all on your own in the corner. You make it, you enjoy it as a special thing and you share it around. But I have always believed and my, maybe it's just because I grew up with always huge gardens, but vegetables are always the answer. Everything else in moderation. Let me, this, this is, uh, you know, selfish of me just on the, uh, on the vegetable garden side. So uh-huh. we have a, as far as like city uh, yards, we have a we have a decent sized garden plot in sure. our backyard, but it's you. you know overall it's really small. And uh, but my one of my favorite things uh, or the two things I love growing are tomatoes mm-hmm. uh, and hot peppers. Yes, uh, and yeah. so I'm kind of yeah. curious on give me paint me a picture of what you're growing in your garden that you're mm. using in your. So the gardens are pretty, I'm going to admit they're kind of overkill. So like I said, my mom lives still in the generational farmhouse and we both do gardening and I kind of do her garden as what we use to can and preserve. So in her garden, we'll put around 15 to 20 paste tomatoes. And then we will put usually um, the green beans that we can and or freeze. We will do the tomatillos that I use with tomatoes for salsa. And I do then always of course, cabbages and kale over there that will all do sauerkraut with and all those things with. And then the strawberries are over at her house. And then at my house, I have more to me, the fun things that I enjoy. She has never, you know, back when she was growing up, even into when I was growing up, it wasn't as common to have heirloom things. So to her, some of the tomatoes that I grow don't always look the most appetizing, but I love all the colored tomatoes. I like the flavor nuances they have. So I do heirloom tomatoes yes. are a treat and right. And, you and just, the hard, the hard part yeah. is if you have one out of your garden, it, you'll it, never want another one. Right. It's like, yeah. no, you, it scoff, you. you scoff yeah. at store-bought tomatoes. You know, and honestly, that to me is what strikes me with the garden is you have a garden one time and grow a few things you love. It will never taste like that from a grocery store. 
And that to me is like, if you want someone to start gardening, just grow a couple things you love. And the flavor to me is just, it's just beyond. So I do all the heirloom tomatoes here. And then I do, yes, all the hot peppers and I will go the hottest I can. Cause I love heat. So yeah. I will do the Carolina reapers. I will do, I mean, I will do any of those. And then I do eggplant, of course, lots of, I also do um, more cabbage cause I do lots of sauerkraut. I really like sauerkraut. And um, I do a lot of cauliflower and broccoli here. We both have large patches of rhubarb and asparagus and then I'll, I usually do the sweet potatoes at my house, kind of depends. And then I do separate from it. So all of our gar- vegetable gardens are in raised garden beds, which I will, I will argue with anyone that is better than an in-ground vegetable bed. And then I do a large pumpkin patch here. So I take a little bit of the field and do, I don't know, I, maybe it's not a full acre. It could be closer to a half acre, but I do usually Oh, around 90 hills of pumpkins and squash and things. Now, started, are those like, uh, are those like pie pumpkins or are those more for so carving? It started as all for decor. I'm going to say, okay. but they're all heirloom varieties that are all edible in different ways. Okay. So it, it, some of them I definitely do eat. I obviously can't eat all of them. So wildlife gets some of them too, but um, they're, it's just, they're one of the hardest things to grow in all honesty, especially if you want to do it organically, because they just are. And even on top of that, to put them in a traditionally farmed field where bugs can just be. Yeah. And then, yeah, it, it can be a mess, but I still try every, I'm, I'm a glutton for punishment. So I tried, I tried pumpkins uh, a couple of years ago. I think I had two or three plants yeah. that I bought and uh, just skip right to the end. It was one of the most disappointing things yeah. because yeah. they grow so quickly. The leaves mm-hmm. are so big. It's, it's so exciting and dynamic. Yeah. And I think I only had all of these plants produce three pumpkins. Yeah. And by the time I could really look at the fruit, it was already rotten, like the way it had been laying oh. in the ground. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're one of the, yeah, they can be the best and worst. Like if you happen to have a good year, the yeah. first year I ever grew pumpkins and squash, I put in a huge patch and from some streak of luck, I had an amazing year, but the problem is that has put a bug in me ever since that says I'm going to have that year again. And I haven't yet. So it, yeah, it can be the best or the worst time, but you just still want to do it. And since I have a blog, I always use the excuse that, well, I need them for decor. So (laughs) yeah. One of the things I grew for the first time this year with, with the peppers was uh, shishito peppers oh yeah those are delicious and yeah because those and then actually smaller tomatoes tend mm-hmm. to be things that i can just basically just do a lap around pull yeah. them and and uh throw them right on the grill yeah but certain things where the just a quick grill with no matter what else i'm making having some of those always turn out yeah. well the other thing that i'm I'm growing too is, and this will probably sound really Iowa city is I always, always try to plant lots of pollinator mix. Oh yeah. Good for you. Yeah. That's smart. (laughs) And we, we live by a Creek in a park and I have been known to do pirate planting where I rough up some other areas (laughs) by the Creek. Throw the seeds out there. Yeah. Cause it's, it's just this, the weird thing is like, there's so many plants that are being sold that are actually the way they're treated are harmful to bees. And so the neonicotines that they grow a lot of things, which is why I start all my own from seed is just because I'm like, well, it's one small thing I can do. And then I'm lucky enough to be able to have so many landscaped garden beds that I can put so many pollinating, you know, attracting different perennials and stuff into those yep. beds but yeah it's oh that's it's, great yeah. 
So wanted to dig in a little bit too. We, because uh, one of the themes on on the podcast is always advice. And we talked yes. a little bit about your advisor, uh, yes. and not to make you like relive anything traumatic, but you did say <laughs> that in some ways you wish you would have listened to your advisor, yeah. like kind of older Caleb talking to younger Caleb. Mm-hmm. What what was it that you think uh, you 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 or why do you wish you would have listened to to the advisor? I was. I've always been someone that loves the arts. I was always the odd one out in high school, in, well, in grade school and high school. I, I never wanted to do sports, which can be a thing in Iowa. Um, I always had the interest in art classes, music classes, whatever it is. And I never gave myself the full, ever actually, even through college, the um, acceptance to just go into that and enjoy it. It always felt like, I felt like I either told myself or had the feeling from other people that, well, the arts, you can't do anything with the arts are just kind of fluffy. You can't, it's the number one thing I really wish. I really wish I would have done differently is take art classes when I had the chance to not make fun of something in my head, even not that I, I, I would just tell myself, well, it's stupid to sit and draw something in a class because that's not going to do anything for me. Or that's what I always heard. So I, I really wish I could go back. And even in college, like I remember in college, there was a paper making class, which at the time I just thought, what is that? And then I had a friend that did it. And it was to me, the coolest process. You learned about paper pulp and how you actually pull and make paper. And it, you know, being able to let yourself be open to so many of those things I think would have been, well, obviously just beneficial because we so often, and I see it still, but we so often put damper on, on creativity because we think it's not going to be bankable, which my question always is how many people take their sport and become a pro athlete? Like, let's look at the statistics. There are probably paper makers than there are pro athletes. So on a ratio basis, Right. <laughs> you probably, right. if you go from the minor leagues of paper making to the big leagues, probably a lot better than Which, a little kid in baseball. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could talk about that forever, but that's what I really wish I could have let myself feel okay with doing those, those different things. And even, you know, I'm someone that I will never, I will never regret where I went or what I now majored in. Cause I am where I am now and I'm enjoying where I'm at. But if I would have to do it over again, those are things I definitely would have picked different. And just, I think we all, whether we like them or not, we have that person in our life that is maybe telling us something different than everyone else seems to be. Whether it's, hey, listen to yourself, or do you really like doing that? We, we often just have, it seems like one person maybe that does that. And so we write them off. But it's amazing as you age, you realize the people that stick out to you like that kind of had something that was right. So for me, that advisor, I didn't know her from Adam at the time. Yeah. And yeah, I wish I would listen to her and just taken some random classes because it's not like I was in a hurry to be an accountant. So why did I push so hard for that? But it's, it's hard to break down those stereotypes and walls in our mind too. And I, right. I totally get that. Yeah. I really appreciate that too. Now looking back as a, for me, sometimes it's, I wish I would have been, because I consider myself open to a lot of ideas now, but just as you described that, I, I, I still remember things that are like, well, what's, what's the payoff? There was almost this transactional yeah. kind of view is like, yeah. why, well, why would you be spending your time there? And I, I wish I would have been open to more opportunities yeah. early. And have you seen the, I, the, the movie, My Octopus Teacher? 
No. It's on Netflix. Check oh, it out. Watch it. It's snowy it's, here. I'll watch it. <laughs> oh, it's it's great for me. It, you know, a little bit of a tearjerker. It's a documentary about basically this diver in South Africa who sees this octopus and then starts going to where this octopus hangs and just covers a lot of time how this octopus survives. Oh, and cool. it's he develops, you know, it's clearly he falls in love with this octopus, right? right? That th- this is like his pet living there. And the funny thing I told friends, my, it's so touching, but like Matt from 20 years ago would have had like 50 jokes throughout the movie, just right. cracking wise about. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like, it's so touching. And isn't it nice when we see people caring for other things, right? right. But that's, I just wish I would have been a little bit more open to, to some of those as, as you were saying that, like just different opportunities or, uh, you know, where I've always found uh, more joy in my life is actually when I'm hanging out with, with people that do like, like you said, that stand out that there's something like they're, they're their own character for whatever reason, they're just their own character. And they're so much more interesting. Well, it's because they usually encompass a confidence that we all want, you know, when someone is fully comfortable with themselves, isn't that what we all want? And I, you think back to every time maybe growing up that you did make a joke or that you did, I don't know, laugh when someone else said something about, I don't know, someone. And you realize every time it's because you just wanted to do what you thought was fitting in. And now it's like, well, what was the point of fitting in? Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to turn out like any of them anyway. Like, it's kind of amazing how we don't realize that to real older. And it's like, I just you so badly want to go into every school and just look for that kid that reminds you of you and just be like, no, just like stick with it. Just like stick with what you like. Like, don't, I don't know. And it's impossible because, you know, life is life. And maybe we all need to go through those instances to even make us stronger and more confident on who we are, I guess. But right. Right. Man, if you could take some of that away. <laughs> so uh, talk to me about some of the videos that you have coming up. What are you excited about? So this year we're going really full-fledged into gardening. We kind of, for the first time, started doing gardening videos last year. We hadn't really done a lot of them because filming outside is impossible sometimes, especially when we were using better equipment with lighting, with better cameras. You know, you have to have scrims. You have to have, you know, I didn't even fully realize I did a shoot with um, Better Homes and Garden that came out last, it came out in 2020. And when they came and did the shoot though, I mean, the amount of things they brought just to like dapple the sunlight outside to make things look right. And you just can't do that when you're us. So last year, we just did a lot more quick form gardening videos. And that's really when we started getting excitement from people. So we're going to do a lot more of those just to hopefully take people I love this idea of taking people from like seed to harvest. So we're going to start seeds. We're going to plant them in my garden. And I try to always really push people. And what I'm hoping to show in all these is that whether you have as many gardens as I do, or whether you have one container, you want to try to grow spinach in like this is applicable to any of those facets. You can, you know, you, you can grow anything anywhere, even if you just have one pot. And if that's something you want to do and gives you satisfaction, you should totally do it. So tons of gardening videos. And then we're going to do a lot more of the canning videos this year too, because people have been so excited about that. And for me, again, it's just so inherent that I hadn't been doing a lot of it on videos, but there's a lot of excitement around it. And I really enjoy, I just enjoy those things. I enjoy, 
I've always enjoyed having the fact that people usually look at me and have maybe a stereotype in their head. And then I'm like, Hey, let's go into the kitchen and let's can like your grandma did. And usually it kind of takes people back. And then they're like, okay. So, and that's what I love. And that's what I always want to bring people along for is the fact that you don't have to think of this as antiquated. You can bring this into a really modern time and have fun with it. And instead of doing 50 quart of green beans for your family, maybe you just want four pint of dilly beans to have on a charcuterie board. I think that's awesome. And that's how canning can then work for you. Oh, that's great. Uh, so while we're talking, it is early February and, and very cold right very now. Cold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but do you have, do you have seeds right now that are started? Uh, so in Iowa, I often have fallen trapped to this and I'm, I'm not going to let myself this year. I start seeds too early and that's usually all of our problem. Okay. Um, our last frost date for spring, I'm in, I'm a little bit South in Iowa here. So I'm zone five, but is May 15. So it's right around mother's day. So that means you cannot plant or should not plant. And this hit me in the butt last year. You cannot plant, um, tomatoes or peppers or any of those tender things until it was crushed. That frost date. Yep. I, 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 I thought year. I was doing well. I, I, I think I put everything in, in, uh, like early May. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we had that, beautiful, we had an early, beautiful spring and it was warm. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. and then we had that hard frost oh, yeah, like and mid-May. And <laughs> a couple days later, everything was just laying on its oh. side. And that's so so probably here towards the end. If you want to okay, if you're someone that starts your onions from seed, which I mean God bless you if you do that. I don't find it hardly worth it to do that at this point. Um otherwise early, early March, late February here, I might start, you know, a few things. It would be things like cabbage, cauliflower, broccoli. Those things are going to be the earliest things I start because I am someone that will always push seasons a little bit. And, um, I will put things out under kind of a hot dome. So even if it's too cold out, I will transplant my broccoli, cauliflower, um, cabbage outside, put even just like a milk jug that's cut off the bottom over it. And that will create a little greenhouse. So then you can kind of start early, but there's not too many things that you can do that with. So I'm trying this year to actually say, even though I want to, I'm going to hold off on my seed starting until I actually should, (laughs) which is what you always should do, but I'm always pushing it. So that's what I'm going to try to do. I do micro greens this time of year and those you can just eat and do it. And they're so easy. And, and tell me what, uh, like what you're doing with the microgreens or are you like, are those going so into salads or what is, yeah, they're mostly for salads or you can put them on sandwiches, whatever that yeah. is, but, or smoothies actually, what is wonderful about microgreens is you, they are so much more densely packed with nutrients because you are condensing all that nutrients that's in that plant into that small, tiny microgreen. And you're getting such a much better hit of that. You, not that that matters. I totally get yeah. throw nutrients out the window. They taste great. And so they're a great texture and flavor to add. Cause you can play around That's with great. things like, you know, mustard greens, radish, and all yeah. that has slight little differences in flavor. And so they just add a little pop of something to whatever you're eating. And they give you something green to grow and eat during the winter, which here is a, a good thing. There you go. Yeah, um, a friend of mine who is a bonsai enthusiast, that's his, that's his calming oh, that's practice, fun. but he must yeah. have... 20 to 30 bonsai trees. Oh, how cool. And one of the things he built at his, he, this year he built, uh, uh, what do you, what do you call kind of the domed greenhouse? Like a greenhouse? Uh, yeah. Kind of like, a, but like, yeah, 
Yeah, and I, I I forgot the other term, but and then is he in, one of the arched ones more that look yeah. like yeah okay with plastic you. wood yes, metal yes. a swinging door to get yeah. in yeah but he he also has uh, warming uh, electric warming pads yeah and he has. Uh, uh, he's 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 checking the the moisture level and the so so yep. everything is rigged up like on his phone he can tell how moist and what the temperature is so oh, it's because he can't let things go into a deep freeze but because they're they're still a tree they they do right. basically need dormancy they need, they need yeah, those chill hours every right. winter yeah 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 so this has been a big experiment for him this season so we'll see how things go in the spring because then once it's once it's nice weather he'll put them all out right. throughout his yard right. but even like we were talking about may some of these are big heavy pots and so moving those in and out of a garage so that's kind of why he made that oh no I, the, it, the hoop house kind of thing some of the plants I try to keep, I'm really into agave and I have like the biggest one I have, I mean, it's not massive, but it's probably at least five, six foot across and tall. And it has the spikes on all the, on all the leaves that come out, but saving it every year and carrying it in for um, dormancy inside is it's, it's a beast. And it, right. it, I have had some deep wounds from that, but I, I still do it. I still do it every year. <laughs> oh, there you go. Caleb, it was an absolute pleasure having you here on the Iowa Idea podcast. Thank you uh, so much. And I might have to go back and watch the chicken soup video to just think about how cold it's going to be. Well, maybe make it this time instead of just right. watching. <laughs> no, that's what I'd say, right, is to, to actually go do it. <laughs> no, no, thank you very much for having me on. It's been fun. Thank you. Thank you.